Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. We've heard from airline executives, from government officials, as well as passengers about the recent airline and FAA meltdowns. But what's the pilot's perspective? I sat down with Patrick Smith of AskThePilot.com. He's also the author of Cockpit Confidential to get his view from the flight deck. Up next, my conversation with Ned Russell, editor of Airline Weekly at Skift, with where we all go from here. And hopefully, it's not just back to the gate. 
and batting third with his latest report of airline and hotel battles with customers, the founder of ViewFromTheWing.com, Gary Leff. First up, Patrick Smith. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Patrick Smith. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Yeah, so let's talk about the elephant in the room, otherwise known as Southwest, and the fallout from that yeah. meltdown a couple of weeks ago. Where were you during all that, and, and, and what did you see from your perspective that could shed some light on how this all happened? Well, uh, I don't know how much I can offer that hasn't already been said about this. Um, yeah, the media has done actually a pretty good job in covering it. I mean, you know, in short, the crisis began, I guess, as an employee shortage during, during a storm in Denver where you had hundreds of apron workers who walked off the job because the airline acted threateningly to a, a high number of sick calls. This caused gridlock in Denver, which in turn caused a cascading series of hundreds of cancellations system-wide. And then as the airline tried to get things restarted, their outdated IT infrastructure uh, really couldn't catch up. And uh, the, the logistics software just, just couldn't handle the getting things started again. And so it just cancellations just kept extending from day to day until there were thousands. And, um, you know, the uh, airline meltdown, let's call it, has become something of a recurring event. It seems uh, we have this revolving series now of on-again, off-again fiascos. Every few months, it seems like one airline or another goes haywire for a few days. Uh, you might remember it happened to American. It happened to Spirit. And in fact, this isn't the first time it happened to Southwest. Back in the fall of 2021, uh, the airline canceled, I think it was 2,000-ish flights over a, a three- or four-day span after bad weather in Florida. Um, what we just saw over Christmas was has been the worst of the disruptions so far. But honestly, Peter, it's unlikely to be the last because the industry's new normal, uh, to use a phrase that I hate using, at least for now, seems to be operating on the edge of crisis with not a lot of room for error. Flights are full. The skies are packed full of planes. And meanwhile, airlines, together with ATC, TSA, and all the other moving parts in the air travel machine, you know, remain understaffed and, and inflexible, and they're still playing post-pandemic catch-up. Um, you know, when this all gets straightened out remains to be seen. Exactly. But from an operational point of view, you know and I know that if there's weather, that's a reasonable reason not to fly. 
Um, you know, if it's if it's that bad, safety comes first. It always comes first. But when this happened, you know, United Airlines canceled about 5% of their flights. JetBlue got up to 6% cancellations. American only about 1%. And JetBlue weighs in at 70%. You can't blame weather at that point. Well, you know, at, at the heart of it, there's almost no such thing as a quote-unquote weather delay. Um, it's it's what weather causes in turn, this, this compounding, cascading logistical issue where you have uh, crews and, and, and in different places. And I mean, there's so many moving parts, as I said a minute ago, to the, the air travel machine, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, the, the weather throws a wrench into that, but the weather by itself is not is not the cause. It's it's all the the, the trickle downs from from issues uh, in the air and on the ground. Um, right. You know, ATC the ATC choreography changes when the weather goes down and so forth. But but it's not the weather in and of itself. But you know, from a crew scheduling point of view, if you know the weather's coming and you do a preemptive cancellation, which many airlines did. You do that for a very important reason, so that you can keep your crews with your planes, so that when the weather passes, you can ramp up more efficiently because you've got everybody where they needed to be. I'm sure you go through that's that. All, that. That's all true, Peter, but I think in the Southwest uh, example, it was more than that. Um, they, they just, the, the, the whole operation just collapsed. And, you know, preemptive, can, preemptive cancellations or not, I don't, I don't know that that really would have made... Um, a heck of a big difference. This was a was a kind of a house of cards that was ready to fall, and um, it happened. And the obvious question I have to ask is: Could it happen again? Yeah, I, I like I just said. I, I think it it can, and I don't want to say it will, but it probably will. Um, you know, until carriers get their staffing back and the rest of the air traffic or the uh, air travel infrastructure is running back up to speed and uh how long is that going to take i don't i don't know you know this all goes back to kind of mid-pandemic when when scores of, of workers were retired or or, or let go or fled <laughs> um uh, and meanwhile that there's a question here that's been nagging me for some time which is where did all these workers go i've been asking that question too i don't know i mean the solution should be no more complicated than just rehiring enough workers to replace the ones who've left. But and airlines are trying, um, but are, seem to be met with lack of interest and in, you know position after position just going unfilled. And then that's the case not only within air travel but economy wide. I mean, it seems to me from supermarkets to restaurants to taxi drivers and Uber drivers, where did all these workers go and why are they staying there? I mean, service workers and and other comparatively unskilled employees have always been a, a huge and integral part of the workforce. Am I wrong? If not the, the whole bedrock of it, of um, where has this sector been displaced to? I mean, where are these people? What are they doing? And of course I'm speaking to you as a pilot. What was the topic a before the storm pilot shortage? Yeah, we've talked about this before. Um, there's kind of a short-term pandemic catch-up pilot shortage, which is uh, mostly ameliorated at this point. But then there's also the longer-term uh, industry-wide shortage, which is a different issue altogether. And uh, both uh, are, are being addressed in different ways. 
I got you. Well, listen, we're going to be tracking this, and we've got about a minute left, so help me out here. What's your wish list for 2023? Great question. Um, you know, I think all in all, the air travel system right now is still badly broken and not running the way it should. What I want to see a year from now is that no longer the case. I don't want to see these meltdowns happening every two months. Uh, I'd like to see service levels at the airlines restored to their pre-COVID levels. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but uh, that's what I would like to see in the year ahead. My thanks to Patrick. Now, if you want to get beyond the headlines and find out what's really going on with the airlines, then you need to talk to Ned Russell, editor of Airline Weekly for Skift. And so I did just that. And as always, there were a few surprises. Hey, Ned Russell, how are you? Peter, I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. You know, I have to admit I was wrong about something back in August. And what I thought was passenger demand and airlines and and airfares were going to basically slow down. Uh, Fares were going to drop. There'll be seats that would be empty. Frequent flyer awards would be available. And that would happen, you know, maybe two or three days after Labor Day. Did not happen. Demand stayed strong. It's still strong. Planes are still full. Uh, Airline frequent flyer awards are very difficult to redeem. And if you do, the mileage that requires is out of control. Uh, Did that surprise you too? Or did you see, were you out there saying the demand was going to stay strong into 2023? You know, it, it wasn't a complete surprise for me. I was expecting to see some slowdown in the fall. As, as traditionally happens, as you know, Peter. But um, the fact that demand has remained strong really, you know, it was it was kind of expected. I mean, the the words airlines have have used has moved from pent up demand, people were saving more money during the pandemic, to now air travel is a lower percentage of GDP than it was before the pandemic. So there's this gap, this multi billion dollar gap that they're still crawl, you know, um, trying to, to crawl back. Cut back. So, you know, it's, that's what we're seeing, and that's keeping planes full. It, it was a surprise that it's as strong as it has been, but the fact that it's strong does not surprise me. You know, I, I think I know why I was wrong, because I still believe that there was some seasonality left to travel. You know, the fall comes, the kids are back in school, and people stay home. Well, what I neglected to realize, <laughs> I realize it now, is how many people are working remotely, where the kids are, were, 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 you know, st- schooling remotely, and that really wasn't as much of an issue. Absolutely. You know, one of the, the stats that really jumped out to me is, you know, American Airlines now says more than half of their revenues come from uh, blended trips, which is, you know, that mix of leisure and, and business travel. Say you fly somewhere on a Wednesday, work Thursday, Friday, but then spend the weekend. You know, and those trips have really, you know, removed a lot of the seasonality from travel. Yeah, you still see seasonal flights to Vail and Jackson Hole for skiing in the winter, but it's not nearly at the level that we used to see, the the big jumps and everything. I can tell you, of course, the word that's being used, I I hate hearing that word. It's leisure. (laughs) I shudder at that. (laughs) I know. I'm right there with you. But, you know, look, all the flights to Los Cabos are full. You know, Mexico has stayed strong all the way through the pandemic because of its proximity to the U.S., and people continue to come down. And in many cases, without regard for price, right? That that affects airfares, it affects hotel rates, it affects everything from ground transportation, a a restaurant meal, 
people are just going to travel at least for the moment at any cost. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the surprising thing is even with fares up and then they're up double digits compared to 2019, you know, even with fares where they are, people are still traveling and eager to travel. And I have to admit, I'm guilty of that myself, taking my family on a trip, you know, coming up for spring break and, you know, it's, yeah, high fares isn't stopping me. And now we got to shift gears here because we're going to go from high fares, which will probably stay strong at least through May 15th. And then, of course, the European fares kick in. But then there's the actual routes themselves. Uh, we're seeing, uh, what I, at least from my perspective, Ned, a quantum change in how airlines are approaching their route networks, how they're, cha- how they're approaching the cities they choose to fly in their domestic system, and then this explosion in new international routes to secondary and tertiary cities. So in the U.S., they may cancel service to Toledo and uh, Dubuque and Islip, New York, and then they're going to add service to the Azores or to Dubrovnik or to the Canary Islands, uh, which never would have been on their radar three years ago. No, absolutely. I mean, the problem is is, is cost, essentially. It costs a lot more to fly to Toledo and Dubuque now than it did four years ago, whereas as the cost of flight internationally is, is minimally changed. And so you, you have, I mean, it's, it's easy, you know, when you're a revenue manager at an airline, you're like, well, am I going to fly a flight to Dubuque that I can't really get as much of a fare on? But if I go to the Azores, I can charge people, you know, a long haul first class fare. I can charge premium economy fare. I can get all this extra revenue. So it starts to, to become dollars and cents, you know, part of the reason for that. And the other thing is, is people are going new places, I think. I really think the pandemic opened people's eyes to, to more and, uh, you know, a broader range of destinations. And that's why we're seeing increased interest in places like the Azores, in, you know, Iceland. I know all these, you know, I, I think of uh, the Balkans have become a destination, Croatia and stuff. It's just, it, the list goes on and on. And, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the system that we will call their obsession with yield, right? How much can they get for any one seat on any one route? And if they can better that on another route, then there's no justification in many cases for keeping that plane on the original route. Absolutely. And costs are a big part of that. The yields are up, but in many places, the smallest cities, costs are up higher than yield, which just takes the profitability right out of them. And of course, it's the type of aircraft they were flying. Those 50-seat regional jets that I used to you know, fly with my knees up against my neck, uh, the economic equation now to make them viable doesn't exist uh, where, where you have rising fuel prices. They're now starting to pay their pilots more and their cost of operation is higher. They'd have to be 95% full on those regional jets for them to just break even. So if you're the airline accountant, it, it doesn't take you long to, to total it up to realize it's a lost leader. And that's why maybe you've seen American United and Delta pull out entirely of cities like Toledo, Ohio, which now doesn't really have commercial jet service on a regularly scheduled basis from anybody. That's right. You know, it, it, those small regional jets that, that you and I both dislike a lot, sounds like uh, those have not made money for airlines for a long time. But when costs were lower and the losses were lower, they you know benefited from the, the passengers that they were able to bring into the system offset the losses. You know, you make you lose some money to make more money elsewhere, essentially. But But, now, with the cost higher, Peter. No, with the cost higher, they're they're parking those planes. But then the question becomes, Ned, what happens if you live in Toledo? 
what happens if you live in Iceland? You drive to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, you drive to Detroit. So that means you're spending money to get to Detroit. You're spending money to park your car there. And then what is the airfare out of Detroit? Is it higher? Chances are it is. Very true. You know, major hub airports like Detroit, where you've got one very large fare, often tend to have high fare. So absolutely, people are probably paying more to fly to Detroit than they used to out of Toledo. I mean, it it is a big problem. And it's just going to continue to grow because if you live in Toledo, you can make the easy argument that you've been disadvantaged, you're disenfranchised, and from a competitive point of view, you're definitely at a disadvantage if you're in business there. How do your customers get to you? Or how do you get to your customers when people just want ease of frequency and seamless travel? Uh, you know, we all remember what happened when the stagecoaches start, stopped coming to those western towns. They became ghost towns. You know, it's it's the key component f- factor here. It's called airlift. Oh, absolutely. Look at a place like, you know, you're looking at where, where they, they're pulling to us. But look at somewhere like Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. BMW went in there and opened a plant, I want to say, 10, 20 years ago. And that's for, you know, more air service to Europe from nearby Charlotte. Greenville, Spartanburg has lots of air service to sort of domestic, at least major hubs and elsewhere. It's, you know, having that air connectivity really can drive economic growth or economic losses like you're talking about with the, the stage coaches. I suspect that if you stayed on the air long enough, you'd be getting a lot of problems to be answered as well. But I'll start with this one. When you take a look at certain markets, we talked recently on the show about Boston, where you have every carrier imaginable in Boston is flying to London. I mean, it's 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 a shootout at the OK Corral there, out of New York Absolutely. and out of Newark. Airlines like United and Delta are adding service left and right to not just the primary usual suspects like Paris and London, but to, uh, you know, Dubrovnik and the Canary Islands and, and the Azores and Amman, Jordan, and it keeps going. Where, where do you see this going? You know, it's, it's interesting time where we're, we're seeing the major airlines like United and Delta, well, really United and Delta doing all this sort of secondary flying across the Atlantic. And I think it's really a sign that, you know, they feel that a market like Paris, like Frankfurt, London, you know, they're, I don't want to say they're, they're a bit tapped out. You know, they already, each of these airlines already fly there 10, 15, maybe more times a day. And there's minimal, there's minimal room for growth there. They've got lots of competition. But if you go to these smaller cities, you mentioned the Azores, you know, there's almost no nonstop competition to United. They have an, a you know, new market, emerging market for visitors. It's, you know, it starts to look really attractive for um, as they look to open up new points and everything. And some of these don't work. United's not going back into Bergen, um, Bergen, Norway, that they did last summer. And then, you know, the acknowledgement that not everywhere works. But it's, it's really an exciting time to see some of these places that have never been connected opening up. And it opens up new frontiers for tourism and other economic opportunities for some of these smaller places. And the interesting thing, of course, is you're dealing with major hub-and-spoke airlines behaving like point-to-point carriers for these secondary cities. A little bit, yes, definitely. I mean, I, I looked in the Boston market the other day. You have Turkish Airlines, of course, doing their flights from Boston to Istanbul, but Delta's doing one now. The difference is Delta can't connect you with anybody in Istanbul, and Turkish Airlines can, but they're 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 starting to take market share away simply because of the power of their frequent flyer program. Right, and you know, Delta looks at Boston as a secondary Atlantic gateway for them. So you know, when they can't funnel you over Atlanta or, or New York, they put you through Boston, which which is starting to open up new cities like Istanbul that you mentioned for them. You know, you've had a chance to talk to a number of airline CEOs, as I have. Have have you ever discussed with them the power, not just the economic power, but the the branding power? 
of their frequent flyer programs in the year 2023. Uh, I'll share with you a story. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll share with you one story, and that is I was I was just pricing out what the what the mileage cost would be to redeem miles on a first class or business class, I should say, ticket on Delta from Atlanta to Santiago in Chile, which they fly nonstop. You want to guess how much they wanted? How much? 749,000 miles. Ooh, I wow. Mean, wow. I mean, you and I go back to the days when that might have been 160,000. And somebody asked the head, oh, yeah. and somebody asked the head of the Delta Frequent Flyer program, "Why are you doing this?" And you know what the answer they got was? Because what? we can. Because we can. And people are so addicted to the programs and they're so desperate to try to redeem miles that they've had such difficulty redeeming that the philosophy that they're using, which I think is a dangerous philosophy when they redeem it for that amount, is, well, it's better than nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to run the math. I, 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 the math to me is amazing. 54% of all mileage earned is earned on the ground. So if you get a 25,000-mile ticket, uh, you've already spent $14,000 to get it. Now let's take that same approach to 749,000 miles from Atlanta to Santiago round trip. That means you spent $420,000. Guess what? For $420,000, I can charter five G5s, bring all my friends along, and charge them. <laughs> so it, it's sort of gotten out of whack. No, it, it absolutely it has. But you know, the thing is, is I don't see any, slow, any change to the loyalty system coming. These are huge profit leaders for the airline. Delta is a good example. You know, their partnership with American Express, that is part of their loyalty program. You know, that brings them in upwards of, I believe it was $1 billion last year. And those are serious, serious cash for an airline. You know, it's not, you know, yeah, it's, it's serious cash. Oh, no, it's serious so it's cash. it's hard to see. Yeah, it's hard to see anything changing when it comes to this, just because, the, like you said, people are addicted to these programs. You can connect your list. You can connect your Starbucks. You can connect all these things to your Delta SkyMiles account. And... You know, people are just like, oh, no problem. So you've got all these coins. Like, oh, what is it? They're points. Like, you know, to your point that, you know, $400,000 for those, those first class tickets. It's, once they're in points, it doesn't feel like they're dollars and people don't think about it. But you're right. It's an absolutely terrible exchange. So the takeaway from all this, for those people who are sitting, listening to me with a lot of mileage in their account, is don't leave it there. It doesn't accrue interest. The airlines are not going to treat you as a bank. They're only going to devalue the miles because they can. There's nobody regulating them. So think up to 330 days out. Find a place that none of your friends want to go to. We can leave them at home. And at least redeem your miles for a place that you can have bragging rights about and come back and tell everybody where you went. Absolutely. You know, what I like to do is I like to take my family with We don't go first class. We go economy. We pay a reasonable rate. Uh, but, you know, we all get to go somewhere with, with my miles, and I think that's a good way to do it. But, you know, there are people there out there that love those first class seats <laughs> and love redeeming them. <laughs> but like you said, look 330 days out. Find somewhere where, they're, where it's cheap. Book that. My thanks to Ned. Every day or so, it hits my email inbox, the latest from Gary Leff and his viewfromthewing.com. And this week, he's got the latest on the huge lounge mess at Delta Airlines. And what one hotel charged the traveler for canceling their reservation, they'd booked on points. Would you believe $11,000? And oh yes, the great airport retail scam when it comes to liquids you want to buy after you clear security. So, buckle up for Gary. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Gary Left, the author of ViewFromTheWing.com. Are you, are you talking to me from outside of Delta Lounge? I am not in a Delta Lounge. I, uh, I'm not cool enough to skip past that velvet rope. Uh, you've got to, you know, wait in some long lines often these days if you want to. So, you know, you're, you're waiting in line in the airport terminal, standing there, uh, hoping to get inside of, uh, of the lounge, which then, by the way, once you're inside, it's crowded. And you're, right? a, so and, you're a mem- exactly- and you're a member and you're a member. Well, and with Delta lounges, many people won't be members for very long because they're making so many changes to clamp down on how crowded these places are. You know, if, if, it, if a lounge is not an escape from the airport chaos, then what good is it? And they realize that they've got a problem. And the Delta lounges, they have a much bigger problem than the other airline lounges, right? Uh, and that, and the, and some lounges, it's far worse and most, the most extreme in the Terminal 4 at the JF Tech, where the lounges just snake, the lines snake down the terminal. But you know, they are eliminating the ability for non-elite members of their frequent flyer program to even buy a lounge membership and then as some, part of how they're, and then as, as part of how they're trying to limit this. I mean, I've seen lounge lines outside the lounges that go on for like 50 or 60 people, and then you'll see a very hairy Delta employee coming out and offering them a carrot. I'm not making this yeah. up. This is true. This is true. Where they, it, you know, it's like a refugee camp. These lines where they have to bring out food to the people who are waiting to be processed. All right. So having said this, Gary, and then at some other lounges at Delta, they're like limiting at one point people that couldn't only stay for thirty minutes, which sort of defeats well, what, that what, purpose what, as well. What, what that was is that they were that they were closing the LaGuardia Lounge at seven thirty when they have you know, numerous flights that leave, you know, right up until ten p.m. And, but, and so because you were only allowed now into the lounge three hours before departure, regardless of when the, when the lounge closes, if you're on one of those 9.59 p.m. flights, right, you can't enter the lounge until 6.59, which was 31 minutes until close. That was the maximum amount of time you could spend in the lounge if you were a member of that lounge uh, because of your flight time that they were closing it early. They readjusted that uh, opening hours again to adjust you know, a, a little bit. But you know, they have been completely inflexible even when the lounge is completely wide open, if you're a member. That three-hour rule is keeping a lot of members out of lounges because the lounge closes 
early before the flight departure time. Okay, stupid question. I walk into a Delta lounge. I'm a member. And they tell me I only have I can only stay for three hours. How do they take attendance? How are they going to know? Well, they don't let you in until three hours before the start of your itinerary. Ah, now I got it. Ugh. Crazy. So they turn you away, and then you have to go get back in the land again. <laughs> All right, so this begs the question, how are they going to fix this, Gary? Well, they are doing a lot to limit who can get a lounge membership. They're raising the price on the lounge membership. They're limiting when people can use the lounge membership. So they're excluding uh, people with memberships when they're on basic economy fares starting uh, ne- you know, starting next month. And um, <clears throat> the, the the problem, though, and the reason why Delta has you know more lines than everyone else, part of it is because they're doing more to feed passengers in these lounges than American and United. Well, the United's getting a little bit better here. Um, part of it is because. United and American have separate business class lounges that take off some of the pressure. But I think most of it is that Delta lounges, anyone flying Delta with an American Express Platinum card can get in. So it's not just their own Delta premium credit card members. It's all those Amex Platinums. And you think, well, gee, if that's the problem, they would clamp down a little bit there, except the biggest single customer that Delta has is American Express. All right, so it's going to be a while before Delta cleans up their lounge mess. You know, it, it, it certainly calls into question the real value of a lounge if you can't escape from the mess on the outside and you are actually part of the mess on the outside and you're already a member. So we will, we'll be watching that closely. But then there's some other horror stories out there that you've been covering. You know, it's one thing to be to redeem a frequent flyer mile award or a frequent stay award. They're, you know, they're not always easy to do, but if you do them, that's a good deal. What happened with Hyatt? So if you redeem your points for a free hotel stay and you don't cancel in time, if you have to cancel and you don't meet the cancel deadline, you might think what happens is you lose your points. Because, in fact, they say if you don't cancel in time, you know, you lose 100% of the cost. Well, um, somebody can't, had it, booked a hotel where there was a 60-day in advance cancellation rule in place. They canceled 58 days before their stay, and they got a bill for $11,212. And that turns out to be the rack rate full cost at the hotel for those days. And this isn't just a Hyatt thing, although this particular case was with Hyatt. The same rule is true at Marriott. You don't lose your points. You lose the cash cost that they aren't really disclosing in this case. You know, when this customer booked with points, it said they'd lose 100% of the cost. It doesn't say they would lose cash. It doesn't say what rate would apply or how much. So it's one of these quirks in uh, these programs. Sometimes the hotel will be uh, a little more generous and waive the policy. Sometimes you can make a change to the date into the future and then cancel so that you meet the cancellation within, within their cancel rules. But it's not the first one of these I've seen. There's some really expensive hotels that are really strict enforcing this. I've seen some Marriott properties where passengers have their flights canceled. They can't show up until the next day and they get billed $2,000 for the next night. I think in the end, it's really hard to enforce these charges because they're not very clearly disclosed up front, but it's something that becomes a real pain for guests. Now, in the instance of that $11,000 bill, was that bill paid? Well, they're still fighting it out. I would think so. But you, you provide a credit card, right? Oh, boy. You provide a credit card. And they've got your card. 
um, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea to provide a credit card that has an available balance, available credit that's that, that, that high. Wow. Amazing. You know, I'm, I've got a pet peeve. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. And I'm not alone. You know, if you're coming home from overseas on a, on a flight back to the United States, on, on, on a flight that's, cons- well, it's a, it's a bound for U.S. flight, there's additional secondary security you go through at many foreign airports. We know this. So that part I get. But on the way to the gate, in fact, in some cases next to the gate, Gary, there's a, you know, there's a store there that sells uh, snacks and bottled water and, and, and sodas and, and everything. And so you go, okay, I'm going to be on a flight for 11 hours. I'm going to buy a couple of bottles of water. I'll buy some juice. I'll buy, you know, some nachos, whatever. And now you go to board the flight. They take the water away from you. Now, you've already gone through security once. I've had this happen to me. Right. And the, and the store clearly knows. The store clearly knows they're going to take your <laughs> bottle of water away. It's the biggest scam going. But the, the question that I have to ask is, the water that's at that store, didn't the water have to clear security as well? And the answer is yes. So what is going that's on? Right. What is going on? Well, look, you know, I, I, the, the worst thing that I can think of in terms of long-haul flying, right? You're, say you're at the Hong Kong airport and you're flying to Chicago. Maybe it's a United Airlines flight and you're in the back of coach and you buy some water in the airport because you might get thirsty on the long flight. And the truth is you don't want to rely on the flight attendant to you know keep you hydrated whenever you're thirsty, right? And so you buy that water. But because they don't have the same liquid rules in the airport, they screen for liquids at the gate, right? The U.S. rules apply to flights bound for the U.S. And so they have to enforce them on boarding since it's not in the airport. Okay. And that's so what's going on. I understand that. But then those merchants at the near the gate or sometimes at the gate, they know exactly what's going on. They need to fully disclose, don't buy water here. You're going to lose it. <laughs> in fact, they shouldn't be selling any water. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, they should be willing to sell it to people that aren't, you know, because the you know, two gates next to each other. One has a U.S. flight and one doesn't. I can see selling the water, but, you know, give passengers a heads up for sure. If uh, U.S. bound flights leave from that bank of gates, a little sign that says this water is going to get taken from you. Probably don't want to buy it. Um, But there's plenty about all of these processes that are a little bit silly. Of course, that water had to go through screening to get into uh, the airport. You know, it's a a sealed bottle of water. Um, You know, we haven't actually seen uh, problems from bottles of water. If you go through checkpoints, I've gone through plenty of checkpoints with big bins with water bottles tossed in them. If we thought they were hazardous chemicals, they wouldn't just be sitting next to the checkpoint accumulating in bins. Right? There'd be people in hazmat suits could be walking up to you know these bins and you know and following you know, proper procedures to remove the biohazard. You know what I have we to don't say? actually believe any of that. You know what I have to say about that, Mr. Gary Leff? I rest my case, and so do you. <laughs> my thanks to Gary, to Ned Russell, to Patrick Smith, and to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, And when isn't there breaking travel news, you know just what to do. Log on to petergreenberg.com.
The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.